another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made with but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Would you pray with me? God, we just thank you for your word, Lord. We just thank you for your eternal priesthood, Lord, and for the finished work that you did on the cross for us, God. And we just pray for the anointing of your spirit on Jackie this morning, Lord. Open all of our hearts, Lord, to hear from you and to understand your word, Lord. And uh, God, we just pray that we would leave here changed by you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have some more Melchizedek for you. You guys ready? <coughs> Don't get shy on Melchizedek. You got him for like, um, well, three more chapters. We're going to be talking about the, the picture, the typology that we have in Christ with Melchizedek. And hopefully we can wrap that all around and bring it around so that you can see. Now, <coughs> it's funny because as we come to this uh, this time of year, it's a giving season, right? We're supposed to... Be looking to give. Blessed is he who gives, right? More blessed to give than to receive. Yep. So I shared my flu with my wife and with Joe. <laughs> Last night they looked so miserable. I might have time for shopping today now. <laughs> Kathy won't be watching. She'll be sleeping. So if you keep them in your prayers, that would be great. Did you guys get a chance to see that video Joe put up? Yeah. Wasn't that crazy? Well, watch. If you haven't seen it, it's on Facebook. Joe and another kid from his therapy group, uh, they're both in, in a, a therapy group for autistic kids. And, and uh, on Halloween, you know, Joe dressed up like uh, Luke Skywalker because his brother had a Star Wars wedding, so he just happened to have Luke Skywalker, and that was easy. So we put him in Luke Skywalker on the other fellow came as Darth Vader. So, you know, in, in class, spontaneously, the Darth Vader guy goes into the scene. You guys ever, well, anyhow. And, and Empire Strikes Back, there's a scene where Darth Vader reveals that he's Luke's father. So these two guys just go into it. They just start doing the lines like it's coming straight from the movie. It's a crack up. And as far as I know, Joe ain't never seen that movie but one time, maybe. And I'm not sure he sat 
through it. I'm pretty sure he might have paced all the way through. But if you get a chance, check it out. It's, it's pretty crazy to, to see uh, just that. Uh, it was cool. One of the things Kathy and I used to fret about was he'd never have friends. And it was kind of cool to see him have a friend, you know, that they can do that stuff in. So anyways, we don't get started. We'll never get done. So we better jump in. Hebrews 7, verse 11, again, looking at the the picture and why it's important that Jesus Christ is a different high priest. Let's look at it. It says in Hebrews 7, 11, Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest? Okay, you guys see that. You see it. It says, if perfection was possible, that word perfection, we get the, the word, the same concept, completion or maturity. Now, hold on to that thought. Back up in your head. Hebrews 6.1, I know it was a few weeks ago. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, to perfection, to completion. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Not starting over all the time, staying in the same place, but moving forward. Now, in 7.11, he says, So, if perfection is attainable through the Levitical priesthood, through what we already have, through the law you've already received... If that was achievable, we wouldn't need another priest. The word another means another of a different kind. We need a different kind of high priest. Because a kind of high priest that they had in the Old Testament system never enabled the men or women who worship and sacrifice through them to achieve perfection. How come? Because the next day they had to do it again. Right? And the priest to whom you are bringing your sacrifice, how's his standing with God? Oh, you ever think about that? You know, let's say you had a rough week, you know, and, and had a lot, of, a lot of issues. You decide, man, I, I really want to make sure I take my, a really good lamb into sacrifice this week. So you take your lamb, you go into sacrifice, you bring him to the priest, and you're counting on the fact that that priest has got a good relationship with God, right? Because he's the guy going before you to make sure your offering is acceptable. What if he had a lousy week? That morning he got up, got in a big fight with his wife. Went down to, to well, I don't want to go to work today, spend all day cutting sheep throats. Well, I'm sure he had to have something like that, no? That's what he did all day. What happens if his attitude was sideways and you're coming to be made right with God, but now the guy who goes between you, now he's not right. You see, the entire system is a picture. Remember we talked about this last week? Don't spend all your time hugging the picture. Go to the reality. The reality is Christ. The picture was we need someone to go before us to the Father. Somebody's got to pave the way so that we are acceptable to God. Someone has to stand between me and God. Now, the, the priest did it throughout the Old Testament, but it was not perfect, was it? No, the Bible's full of corrupt priests. In, in fact, at the time of Jesus, you got a couple of real corrupt priests in there, right? Don't you? 
Caiaphas and Annas. So you have these, this corruption. Now, now, how is it possible that the gifts that they're offering, trying to just get stuff for themselves and, and gather up money for themselves, how is it possible that that is in any way ushering the people into a right relationship with God? So the system's broken, just like the people in the system are broken. In fact, the reality is, guys, as long as we are flawed people, and do us all a favor, if you don't have any flaws, leave. (laughs) We don't want to be blamed for the flaws you get, hanging out with all us flawed people. But if if the people are flawed, listen, the system will be flawed. How can it not be? What is the system made up with? Yeah, flawed people. So you bring flawed people and you put them in a perfect system. The system's going to be, yeah, perfect system that's flawed. Unless the people that you put into the system, the one that stands between, isn't flawed. You get it? So when we look, it says, it's telling us in, in Hebrews 7.11, man, we, we need to go on to maturity. We want to go on to perfection. We want to go on to completion. And that's really what verse 25 is all about. We'll see in a minute. So there had to be another. The word there for another is heteros. <coughs> it means another of a different kind. You're all familiar with that word. You use it all the time. You just don't know you use it. But it means another of a different kind. Another of a different kind. We need a different kind of priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than the one named in the order of Aaron. Look at verse 12. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. So you see the reason why Jesus comes through Melchizedek is because... The law said that it had to come from Levi, right? Levi, Levi. So when the the priesthood was supposed to always go through Levi, well, Jesus couldn't come. He's from the tribe of Judah. He's going to discuss that in a minute. So there had to be a different priesthood because the priesthood we have won't get us to perfection, right? The priesthood we have won't save us. So if the priesthood changes, so does the, let's say it this way. Instead of law, say this word, covenant. You get the idea? In order for the priesthood to change, the covenant has to change. Now, a new covenant is not a New Testament idea, is it? No. Where do we first hear about the new covenant? In the Old Testament, right? Yeah, Jeremiah tells us about a new covenant. Ezekiel tells us about a new covenant. The Old Testament prophets would all hint at or draw pictures of a new covenant. A day in which no more, Jeremiah said, will I write my laws on tablets of stone and tell you, here, do this, and then put between you and God a high priest who's going to be able to bring sacrifice to make you acceptable to God. Because that system, while perfect doesn't work with flawed people. So a new priest and a new covenant. A new priest, a new covenant. Remember, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, He took the cup and He lifted that cup up and He said, 
This is the blood of the new covenant. My blood shed for you. He's saying no covenant could be ushered in without sacrifice. Jesus Christ ushered in the new covenant. Jesus Christ. It's, it's an incredible picture because, guys, as we look here in Hebrews chapter 7, I just want you to have this in your mind. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is the place where the blood is applied. He's the throne. He's the way. He's how we get to God. Right? He is the way we're able to arrive. So the law has to change. So what do we see? We see a need for another priest. Because the priesthood didn't work the way it was. Didn't work the way it was. So we also see if we change a priest, we've got to change the law. Everybody with me so far? So we need a priest. We need to change the law. And we also see in the nature of the priesthood, there are some problems. Let's look at it. Verse 13. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So, the tribe of Levi was the tribehood. The problem is, we can't get there that way. The nature of the priesthood told us that there couldn't be another priest if we keep things the way they are. So for Jesus Christ to be our high priest, there also needs to be that change In the law. Now it's interesting because the Bible tells us about a character who was of the tribe of Judah who tried to be high priest. Bible trivia. Anybody know who it is? Do, 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 do. So, and if you said it, I, I didn't hear it, but you're about to hear it right now, so you'll find out if you were right. In Isaiah chapter 6, it starts with this phrase. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. King Uzziah was a great king. But one day, King Uzziah became so great, he became great in his own mind. He started reading his own press clippings. He started thinking, you know, I really am all that and a box of chocolate at the same time. So he decides, I'm just going to go down. And, and so the priests are trying to stop him. They're begging him because he's a good king, not a bad king. King Uzziah, you can't do this. King Uzziah, no, no, you can't come. You can't. Offer. And he fights his way through them all. And he comes all the way up into the, into the holy place. And God gives him leprosy on his forehead. And from that time until the time he died, he had leprosy. All throughout the scripture, guys, leprosy is a picture. It's a picture of sin. What does sin always do? It grows until what? It consumes you. Until it consumes you. What's the Bible say? The soul that sins shall die, right? So the picture of leprosy is just a picture of what sin does in our life. And so King Uzziah, that's as far as he could go. He couldn't go no further. God stopped him. And he's... Finishes out his king, still considered a good king. I don't know if he had everything that God had for him because of the sin of presumption. He tried to force his way by. But why? Why does he try to do that? Because he's a flawed person. 
And if we put a flawed person in a perfect system, it's going to become flawed. They mess it up. Right? Is, is that not your own experience in your own life? How many times like, do you know? I know if I do something the same way every time, I should expect the same result. Right? Unfortunately, and I don't know about your world, in, in my world, the results vary. Yeah? The re- results vary. Same kind of thing going on here. Hey, he's a flawed person, but Jesus Christ, guys, is not flawed. He's perfect. He's perfect. Look at verse 15. The characteristics of Melchizedek that mean, that, that elevate Jesus, make him better. Verse 15. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek. Now I just want to bring up that point. Look right there. When another, that again is the word heteros, another of a different kind. Another priest in the likeness of Melchizedek. So my, my, only one of my only issues with Jesus being Melchizedek is it doesn't make sense that he would come in the likeness of Melchizedek. It would just say he come like Melchizedek. It come, but it says he comes like him. He's a picture. He's a type. And the reason that's important, guys, is because it's all a picture, and the picture is flawed. The perfection is Christ. The picture is flawed. Now the 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 plan is perfect. The, the law's not broken. Who's broken? The people, right? The law's not broken. The people are broken. The law is perfect. It's good. It's right. But as long as we plug flawed people into a perfect system, we get a flawed system. And so, someone needed to come to fulfill that system, to complete that system that could stand in the gap for you and me. Are you starting to see... Hopefully a little bit of the idea of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So, it says another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent. He's not priest because his dad was priest. See, that's how he became priest before. Father was a priest, he passed it to the son. Son was a priest, he passed it to his son. So on and so forth. It was not a... A, a necessarily a calling other than the initial calling where God said it's all going to come from Levi. Other than that, it's like the deal. If your dad was a baker, you were a baker. Now, in a perfect world, there's nothing wrong with that. Because all the perfect people would do the job perfectly, wouldn't they? But because it's a flawed world, a broken world, and you have flawed people, somewhere down the line you can see where you end up with priests that aren't very good at being a priest. Does that make sense? But it says this priest, this other priest, this priest of a different kind, that's not how he became priest. He doesn't become priest because he's passed from father to son. He becomes priest based on the power of an indestructible life. You know, just think about that idea. <coughs> you had all those priests, right, that that went before us. All those priests who served. And if you had a good one, and he served for 30 years, maybe 40, but eventually what was going to happen? He's going to die. And he's going to leave it to his sons. And our son's going to be good or bad? I don't know. And neither do you. I know you think you might, but you don't know. We don't, there are a lot of good kings with bad sons. 
There's a lot of bad kings with good sons. Grace of God moving through because we got flawed people in a perfect system. We look and we see, man, we've got, we've got this idea that Jesus Christ as a high priest has an indestructible life. Nobody can take him. He's not going anywhere, is he? He becomes the... the uh, we see that probably most, uh, most uh, grandly depicted in the resurrection. Yeah, death couldn't hold him in the ground. I love those, those lyrics in songs, right? Death couldn't hold him. Yeah, he couldn't hold him. He can't die. He dies in the flesh to fulfill the, the, the system, the, the <clears throat> requirement that sin required. But you can't destroy his life. Why? Because he's eternal. Eternal by the very word means it never stops. No beginning, no end. It cannot be quenched. It cannot stop. So we see that it is by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, verse 17, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now let's think about it. It's Christmas time. And all the time, <coughs> Christmas time, we, we often will discuss Isaiah 9.6. So in Isaiah 9.6 it says, For unto us a child is born. I just want you to slow down and look at it. Unto us a child is born. To the nation of Israel, they're just having a kid. What's the next phrase? Unto us the Son is given. The Son. That was the eternal place of God the Son. Eternally the Son. The Son was being given. A child was being born. A son was being given to the nation of Israel. And the government will be upon his shoulders. What's he saying? He's going to rule. He's going to reign. The government will be on his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, El Gabor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Now some people get confused here. It's a, the phrase is a Hebrew idiom. It means Father of Eternity. The phrase is speaking of the fact that he is eternal. No beginning, no end. No beginning, no end. The father of eternity, prince of peace. What's it saying? This son that is given, this baby that is going to be born, he is indestructible. Yeah, you... You take him to the cross. You nail him on the cross. And he gives his life up on the cross. For how long? Three days. He passed out of existence? No, he still existed, right? So he's eternal. Indestructible. Is he ever going to do that again? Next time he stands before the armies of the world, you think that he'll be sweating bullets, worried about uh, all, the, all the weapons that they have? All the weapons of mass destruction or 
We had an opportunity to stand up there on the, on the top of Mount Megiddo and look out into, on a relatively clear day, the, the, the valley of Armageddon. Uh, and as we looked out over the valley, you just can imagine that day when Jesus Christ comes back. The Bible says he's going to walk through that valley alone. We'll be there. Revelation 19 says we're, we come together with him riding on horses, but he fights the battle. He don't need us. You know that, right? He don't need us. We're not required for anything. There's not something lacking in him that he requires us. He loves us. But he, he, doesn't, he doesn't need us. He's able to accomplish all these things that He wants to do on His own. He's perfection. So He can stand in the gap. So He can be the one who shows you and I the way to show us how we are able to cross. Look at verse 18. For on the one hand, A former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Mende construction in the Greek. On the one hand, and on the other hand. On the one hand, you have the law. This is what we've been talking about. The law is perfect, it's good, it's right. There's nothing in the law that's wrong. The wrong part about the law is the people that try to keep it. Does that make sense? So as long as we are broken or flawed, whatever we plug ourselves into is going to be, in some way, a broken or flawed system. The law was weak, it says, and useless. Man, those are harsh words, isn't it? Weak means the law had no strength. Does knowing what's required of you give you strength to do it? No, it's just knowledge, right? Just like any knowledge, I can use knowledge a lot of ways, huh? Good and bad. I can use a hammer to build a house. I can use a hammer to crush a skull, yeah? Both are using a hammer. Might even be using them in the right way. But one brings life and one doesn't, right? Okay, so... We come to the law. The law was weak. It doesn't give us the strength to use the hammer right. It doesn't give us the strength to keep it. It can tell me, do not lie. But it doesn't give me the power not to lie. Are you with me? It can tell me, do not kill your brother. In fact, it can even tell me that from the lips of God. But it doesn't give me the strength not to do it. You remember that story, right? Cain, why are you so downcast? Why are you so upset, Cain? God looked at him. You you know God knew what he was going to do, right? Cain, sin is at the very door of your heart. And its desire is to control you. But you should rule over it. What does that mean? I know what you're about to do. Don't do it. It tells me that it's wrong. But the power, the power, it's weak. The idea of the word useless, uselessness means it's without aid. It's without strength and it's without aid. It doesn't have the power to help me, nor is it able. 
It's just able to tell me what's wrong. It's just able to tell me what's right. It's just able to draw the lines, right? Right in the, on the ground. And I can see the lines, but it doesn't give me the strength to walk where I need to walk. It doesn't help me when I start to go the wrong way. So what he's laying out for us here is this idea, this concept of the, of the law, the old covenant. On one hand, you have the former. And you have to put it aside. We have to set it aside. Why? Because it is not a tool for us to equip us, broken men and women, to be the men and women we need to be. It is a mirror to show us what we need. But we're really not able to use that tool very well. In fact, every time we seem to lay hold of of the law, we find ourselves falling into self-righteousness or legalism, don't we? Now, does that mean we're not supposed to try? And that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying we're not able to utilize the tool. When we reach out for that tool, our tendency is to stumble, to fall, to trip, to be hurtful. Well, it's not our heart, but that's just how it works out, right? Is that not how we have experienced things? But it says, on the other hand, on one hand we have that. On the other hand, we have a better hope. On the other hand, we have Jesus. On one hand, we have the law, the tools, the concepts that are all good and all right and all holy and all perfect. But I'm not good, right, holy, or perfect. So I can't work that. I see it and I know it's good, but I struggle in working it. But there's a better hope. A whole book of Hebrews has been about being better, isn't it? How Jesus is better. He's better than everything. He's better than the law. He's better than Moses. He's better than Abraham. He's better than the angels. He's better than almost anything you can imagine. So it says here, He is a better hope. Because when I go to Him, when I go to Him and what He has given me, I am able to draw near to God. Do you hear what it says? But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. I can't get near to God that way. I can't do it. How many times you got to sin before you're a sinner? One time, right? One time. So if I'm a sinner, can I get near to God? No. The Bible is really clear. You cannot get near to God that way. So no matter how many good days I might have or how many good moments or minutes, it will never be enough that way, through that picture, through that system, which is perfect because I'm flawed. So the flawed people, all the flawed people, need to go to the God of the universe who came and became broken so that I could become whole. He's the better hope. So I go to Jesus. I go to Him. He's the one who is able to bring me, to draw me near to God. Just think about it. How is it that I get near to God? Not because I'm perfect. Not because I'm better. Not because I'm good. Not because I'm never messing up. I get near to God because Jesus Christ covers me with Himself. And when I'm covered in Jesus Christ, now a flawed person becomes more. Right? The Bible calls us to put 
on Christ. To take off the old man. To throw away the old desire to try to solve all those problems ourselves and figure it all out and put on Christ. Put Him on. The, the, the parables talk about it, right? Remember the parable of the wedding feast? What happened to the fellow? Why did the guy get thrown out of the wedding? Because he didn't have on the wedding garments, right? He had to be clothed in white. What is that a picture of? Putting on Christ. If we don't have, if we, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Can anybody come to Father any other way? No. So I got to put on Christ. And if I put on Christ, in Christ, I keep the law. In Christ, I meet the requirements of the old covenant. In Christ, I am empowered to do the things I need to do. Now, it doesn't mean my, per- my performance will be perfect, but my standing with God is. That's what being justified is all about. If I'm justified, I'm made just as if I'd never done it. When I put on Christ, if you're saved, you're saved. If I put on Christ, He is able to save me. That's what He's talking about. It's what He's laying out. Through Him we can draw near. Listen to this concept, guys. I want to try to... A few, a few sections of Scripture I just want to read to you and hopefully you can kind of see the picture. Hebrews 10, 19-22 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... By the new and living way that He opened for us. Through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I just want, I want to paint a picture. I hope it helps. Earlier on when we talked about Romans chapter 6, we talked about the failure of the children of Israel, right? To cross over at Kadesh Barnea. To cross over in that place. And remember I said Jesus as our high priest is a picture of the priesthood who took the Ark of the Covenant, which is also a picture of Christ, and stood in the midst of the water at the at the Jordan River, and the water stopped up, and the children of Israel crossed on dry land. Everybody with me? And I said, Jesus is that for us. He's that way. He ushers us in to the promised land. brings us in to the fullness of the completeness and the beauty of a relationship with God the Father. All that there is, all that we can have, it's all through Him. Now, as you think about that crossing... Just picture that place. Kathy actually has a picture of it. Because that place where that crossing happened is also the place where Jesus, when he began his earthly ministry, would come down to the river where John the Baptist was baptizing. At that place. And he was baptized by John the Baptist in that area, in that place, I think in the exact same place of that river, fulfilling all those pictures of what? I am the way. I'm the way. 
I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the way for you to enter in. I'm the way for you to have the abundant Christian life. I'm a way for you to experience a true relationship with God. But it's only in and through Him. It's not any other way. It's not by fulfilling rules and plans and concepts and ideas that, that all may be good and all may be something that, that become a part of your life. It first needs to be in putting on Christ. And then living your life in Him. For I have been crucified with Christ. It's not me who lives anymore. It's Christ who lives in me. I died with Him. I died with Him. I don't want to be me no more. I want to be Him. I don't want to be the guy who can't do it right or who messes everything up. I want to be Him. So I need to put on Christ. I need to find my place in Christ. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we have peace with God? Through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Man, that's the only place to be. In Ephesians 2, 13 through 18, it says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace. It's Him. It's Jesus. It's Him, guys. Look what it says. It says that He has... Become our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down how? In his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. How? By abolishing the law of commandments, expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. He created one new man in place of the two. Before? The law. Those who keep it, those who don't. Well, he took that out of the way and in his flesh, he made them all one. That in Christ, in Christ, we all can have access to God. He says in verse 16 of Ephesians 2, And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross and kill the hostility And he came and preached peace to you who are afar off and peace to those who are near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. Those who were near are the Jews, those who are far off are the Gentiles. He brought both together into one body. One body, the body of Christ. Because in the body of Christ there's not woman or man. There's not barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, Jew, Gentile. We are all one in Christ. Because it wasn't because of something we had that gave us that relationship. It's because we put Him on. Because we put on Christ. Because we stood in Him. Ephesians 3.14 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that in accordance to the riches of His glory, He might grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart, Through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love 
may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Look, everything we need is found in Christ. Being in Him. Putting on Christ and putting away other plans. He, Jesus, is our priest. He is our sacrifice. He's everything we need. He's a way so that we might cross in to all that God has for us. Look at the oath that God gives. It says in verse 20, And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such with an oath. But this one who was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantee of a better covenant. There's that phrase again. Jesus is better. A better covenant. What covenant? The new covenant. The new covenant. The new covenant that God had given. This oath. Everybody else had oath with men. They'd stand before men. We go to court today. We do the same thing, right? Before you give testimony, you put your hand on a Bible and you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, right? You guys all with me? So every priest did that, but what's the issue? The system requires that the individuals who do that aren't flawed. Because has anybody ever put their hand on a Bible and lied? Well, we got, we even got a law for that. What do you call it? Yeah, they committed perjury. They perjured themselves. They swore they wouldn't lie and they lied. How come it doesn't work? Swearing on a Bible. Because we're flawed people. You know when it ought to work? When it does work? When that person putting his hand on the Bible is in Christ Jesus. Because when we're in Christ Jesus, yeah, we don't... That meant something, didn't it? When we're in Christ Jesus, the vows we made meant something, didn't they? When we're in Christ Jesus, those promises, they're supposed to, and the power to keep them is given us. It's given us. We just need to walk in Christ. Jesus is the guarantee, the fulfillment of a better covenant. He's a better priest. He is always better. We need Him. In verse 23 it says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But He holds His priesthood permanently because He continues forever. He had a bunch of other priests. Some might be good, some might be bad. But they never stayed because they didn't live forever. But Jesus never goes away. Ever. Never. Goes. He's there. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. It's either truth or it's a lie. I believe it to be true. Jesus has never left me, not one time. I've walked in dark places and dark days and was pretty sure there was nobody around me and He was with me every single step. All the way through. He didn't always do what I wanted Him to. I would have liked the sun to come out and the dark to go away, but that wasn't an option. But He gave me what I needed to go through. He said, I am with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. He is our priest forever. Look at verse 25. This is what everything hangs on. Consequently, 
He is able, please listen, He is able to save to the uttermost. Jesus Christ does not almost save you. Jesus Christ doesn't get oh so close, but but then he, He couldn't get it done. Your will was too strong. Jesus Christ finishes what He starts. Listen to what it says. He is able to save to the uttermost. There's no greater word for complete and utter salvation than that word. Utterly, totally, completely, period. He is able to save you completely. Those who draw near to God through Him. How do we get to God? Through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the... Way, the truth, and the life. He's standing in the river. The waters have parted. The children of Israel, all they had to do is walk across, right? All they had to do is walk across. Come on across. Walk across. All we have to do is put on Christ. Is put on Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 tells us how to do that. And you were in Christ when you heard the gospel. And believed. And put your trust in Him. Then you were in Christ. And if you are in Christ, He's such a good high priest, He is able to aid you. He is able to strengthen you. All the things that hindered us from fulfilling the old covenant equip us to fulfill it in Christ in the new. Because He is better. He's the way. He's the high priest. He's the one who is able to get us through, to take us from beginning to end. All who draw near to God, since He always lives, He always lives to make intercession for them. Now, in the past, I have, I have really built on the idea that Jesus Christ is interceding for you, that He's praying for you. That's true, but that's not the only idea of the word intercede. Someone who's interceding for you is fighting your battles for you. Someone who's interceding for you is standing for you before a holy God and saying, He's mine. Paid in full. Look, when we, when we stand before God, there's a great skit. I'll never be able to find it again because I liked it. But there's a great skit that I saw on YouTube of a guy coming up into heaven and he's watching this judgment thing. You guys know how those things are, right? You've seen them before. Picture it in your mind. And this guy's coming up waiting for his turn and and he goes to to stand up on the scale whether or not he can get in heaven or not. So far, everybody's not been able to get in. So it's not filled him with hope, right? But as he... As he comes walking up and the guy brings out this big binder full of all his, his blow-its, all his flaws, all his brokenness. And he looks at it, he looks at this big thing and he's like, well, I don't know, man. The guy said, man, I try, I really tried my best, but you know, I, I, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Right about that time, uh, this guy like a lawyer comes walking in. And the, and the, Angel doing the judgment goes, oh, hey, Lord. Yeah, yeah, I just want to come in and say, you know, for lack of a better name, I don't see Tommy, so I'm going to go with Tommy. Tommy, 
That's his name now. If your name's Tommy, sorry. Tommy, Tommy's mine. Tommy's mine. And the angel goes, oh, well, praise God. You know, that's great news. And he takes that thing and he puts it in the Tommy's hand. So Tommy's holding this big thing and all this stuff. And, 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 and Tommy goes, okay, okay, now, uh, uh, okay, let me step up on the scale. And Jesus puts his hand in his chest. Uh-uh. You don't stand on it. I do. Do you get it? You see, Jesus Christ stands on the scale for you and I. And because He's perfect, I'm perfect. Not because I'm so good or because I got it all together or I figured it all out. Because if you haven't figured it all out yet, we are a mess. Turn on the news. We are a joke. Every time you think, we're finally going to get it, we're going to do something with it, and we just prove. Don't put your hope in the human race, man. Put your hope in Jesus Christ. He stands on that scale for you. You don't got to stand on it. You don't face judgment. He did. He took it on Himself. That's how He is able to save you to the uttermost. Because He stands for you before God. And if He didn't do that, then none of us could make it. But because He does do that, we make it. And it helps us get a right concept for the law. That the law shows me I need Christ. That the law shows me that it's good and it's right and I want to do that. But if I'm going to do it, i got to do it in Christ. i got to do it in Him. Empowered by Him. Aided by Him. Encouraged by Him. Filled with Him. Every possible thing, I just got to have Him because He is able to save me to the uttermost. I love that phrase. Without Him, I got no hope. In Him, I have no worries. Without Him, I have no hope. In Him, I have no worries. Romans 8.34 says this, Who is to condemn? For Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, standing in the gap, lifting us up, praying for us, pulling for us, encouraging aiding, and ultimately facing the judgment for us. That is why and how Jesus Christ is better and Jesus Christ is able to save. There's no other name, the Scripture says, under heaven by which men must be saved. No other name under heaven by which men must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we just uh, we come before you. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to the realities that are out before us. God, that you, you loved us. Uh, uh, our flaws, our brokenness, so much that you 
you left the glories of heaven, the warmth, the light, for the darkness of a cave stable in the middle of winter in a town that didn't have enough room for you in the inn. That you came unto your own, and your own did not receive you. That you stood in the synagogues in your hometown and declared yourself to be Messiah, the one that they need to have all that is necessary, God. They, they could have it all in you. But God, you came. Lord Jesus, you were here for a purpose, to fulfill the law, the requirements that were written against us. To fulfill them, God, so that we could put you on. So that we could be clothed in your righteousness. So that we could stand in Christ, because we can't stand on our own. We're broken. So the God of the universe came and was broken for me. His body broken. His back beaten. His body hung on the cross. Fulfilling the requirement of a law that I could not keep, but that He did. So death could not keep Him. So He rose. And now... As my indestructible high priest, he's able to help me. He's able to get me through. He's able to save me to the uttermost. He's able to take me. The picture is, he's able to take me as this broken down, unwanted waif. And he's able to pick me up and say, you're my bride. I'll make you pure. I'll make you White, I'll make you holy, for you are mine. Wow, so amazing, this grace that we see. It's no wonder that you called it good news. God, I pray that it would be our heart today to fall down before the altar and say, I am yours. Lock, stock, barrel, all my brokenness. I don't do this on my own. I only do this in you, God. I pray that it would be our heart to say, because if we know this to be true in our life, if we know this to be real, then God, your praise will ever be on our lips. Yes, thank you, so Lord, we pray as we close in worship, we ask God, even as elders and ushers and folks make themselves available for prayer, God, I pray that anyone who does not know you, does not have a relationship with you, would come to one of the prayer counselors because... It's just an asking away. 
Lord, we pray that you be glorified in this place. We want to honor you, that you be glorified and magnified, God. We want you to receive all honor and glory because you have done this for me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.